turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 984 in the Pew Bible. Colossians, beginning with chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so as also must, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this hour of worship that you have allowed us to come. We ask that our worship and our praise would be pleasing to you, and we lift up our hearts and our voices in extreme gratitude for all that you have done for us. We ask uh, and we thank you that you have given us your grace, that you, through your shed blood and through your Holy Spirit, have transformed us You've taken away our old self, and you have given us a new self, molded and in the image after Christ. We ask and thank you for the grace that you give us, that we can resist temptations when they do come. And above all, we thank you for delivering us from the evil that is around us. We thank you for... For our pastor that you have given to us, we ask your blessing and watch care and, and care above uh, on him and on his, on his family. And now as we uh, come and listen to your word being given to us by Bob, we ask that you would be with him. Open our hearts, make them fallow ground, that the word that we are about to receive, we will receive with joy and that it will produce much fruit. Again, we thank you and we praise you and give the Son, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, all honor, glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Putting on the new self. Colossians 3, 9 is the verse that we will focus upon. And it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge 
after the image of its creator. Today we're going to be looking at the exciting process of sanctification, putting off the old and the putting on the new. We need a definition, so we turn to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which reads, Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. We're talking about spiritual growth. Sanctification is by grace, but you get to participate. And there are some do's and don'ts that would apply to the process. We want to consider this morning God's three-step program for sanctification. It's not a formula where you just plug in all the things you want and out comes the answer, but he does have some important steps here for us to take. In the Apostles Paul's day, the Colossian church was being plagued by a mixture of hollow and deceptive philosophy based on human tradition and the basic principles of the world, Paul tells us. Things such as the worship of angels, asceticism, punishing the body, and other useless religious practices. Christ is the solution. And Colossians is one of the most Christ-centered books in the entire Scripture. Many years ago, when I was a young man, a gentleman came to hold a seminar in our church, Dr. J. Adams, from the Institute of Neuthetic Studies. We would call it today biblical counseling. And what he said sparked a change in my life. At that time, his theme for the weekend was taken from the twin epistles of Colossians and Ephesians, dealing specifically with the process of sanctification, growing spiritually to become like Christ. Colossians 3, 9, our verse for focus, describes a Christian. You've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Now, if you read the King James, it will say, put off the old man and put on the new man. If you hear me say something that sounds a little different from your pew Bible, don't be alarmed. That's because uh, another translation got on the hard drive before the ESV was invented. So I'm going to try to behave myself here. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, things are spelled out very clearly and concisely. It says you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul gives us three things. He gives us a negative thing, put off, and then a positive command, put on, and in between there is a connecting link, be renewed in your mind. And those would be basically our three steps. The link is very important. It's like the battery cable in your car. You have the positive post on the battery, the negative post, But if you don't have that cable connecting the two, the electrical circuit will not be complete and your car won't crank even if you have a good battery. So here are our three steps to sanctification. 
put off the old man or the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. And you have to have all three steps to complete the circuit for spiritual growth. Just who is the old man that we need to put off? The old man is the old Bob before I was born again. And the old man sends us back to the first man, and that is Adam. Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And in 1 Corinthians 15:22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, there's no universalism here, as some people would claim, because the very next verse, 23, indicates that the ones who will be made alive are those who belong to Christ. All humanity is in Adam, and they all die. Only believers are in Christ, and they are the ones who will live eternally. Every person is either in Adam or in Christ. And the new spiritual birth would indicate the difference between the two. Romans thirteen, fourteen. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Galatians three twenty seven. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Putting off the old man and putting on the new man actually takes place only once, and that is at conversion. To put on Christ means that you are in Christ. So Christ is the true new man, and we put him on when we are born again. Then we become a new man, and Christ is living within us. Now, if I'm already a Christian, why would Paul tell me that I need to put off the old man and put on the new man, if I've already done that? Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, here is a good hint in this verse. If you're no longer a slave to sin, then don't act like a slave to sin. By July of 1865, all the slaves had been set free, were legally free in the country, in the nation. But many of them were accustomed to generations of slavery, and it was a difficult transition to becoming a new man. And the difficulty for us being free from the slavery to the bondage of sin points us to the need for sanctification. And that's what we want to talk about today. Romans 6.11 Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then in our passage, I hope you're in uh, Colossians chapter 3, and verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If I am in Adam then I'm spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. 
I'm governed by my old nature. I have natural, selfish inclinations. I may not be as evil as someone else, but I'm still following my own way instead of God's way. I have no interest in spiritual things. If I'm born again into Christ, I'm dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. The old self or the old man has been crucified with Christ. And I'm to walk in newness of life, as we read the passage in Sunday school this morning. Now watch this in Colossians 3, 9. I have taken off the old self and I have put on the new self, the aorist tense, meaning something that has taken place already. But in Ephesians 22 and 24, in chapter 4, I'm told to put off the old man and put on the new man or the new self. What is this? This is what I believe Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. Put off the characteristics of the old Bob. Don't let yourself backslide into the old sinful Adamic nature. You're in Christ now. All things have become new. Build these new characteristics into your life through sanctification. In other words, be who you are. You are a new man. You are a new woman. Put off the things that would make you resemble the person that you used to be. To use Jesus' terms, you are a sheep now. Don't act like an old goat. Now in Colossians 3, 1 through 10, we have the indicative and then we have the imperative statements. And you remember from your English class uh, what those mean. The indicative statements indicate what I am now in Christ. And they describe my position in Christ. In chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 1, we are raised with Christ. In verse 3, we are dead to sin. In verse 3 also, we are with Christ in heaven, hidden with Him. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2 says, sealed, seated with Him in heavenly places. He's talking about spiritually. Our Authority, our strength, our power comes from Christ, seated at the right hand of God. We are with Him. He is with us. And then verse 9, we've taken off the old self. In verse 10, we have put on the new self. The imperative statements tell us what we are supposed to do as a result of our new position in Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2. We are to set our hearts on things above not on earthly things. Now, he doesn't mean that we're to go around meditating on angels floating around heaven, strumming on their harps. He's talking about some other things that we have in the Scripture. Set your hearts on things above, things that are above these earthly things that we're supposed to put off. You might think about setting your heart on agape love, 1 Corinthians 13. Set your heart on the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, meditate on the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Think about things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Because if I'm thinking these things in my heart, then that's going to translate into my words and my actions, and I'll find myself becoming more like Christ because I'm thinking His thoughts. 
Look in verse 5, we're to put off old habits that belong to our earthly nature. And he gives us a list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is covetousness. And covetousness, which is idolatry. And of course, if I'm worshiping myself and my own desires, that might be the worst form of idolatry that there is. And then in verse 8, we're to rid ourselves of these old character traits that belong to the old man in Adam. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. There's a lot to put off there. And then in verses 12 through 14, we're to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we may have against one another. We are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. And then, summing it up, we're to put on love, which binds us all together in perfect unity, binds these virtues that we have all together. So we're to become in daily life what we are in Christ. Now, if I'm truly in Christ... I'm dead to the allurements of the world. I'm dead to the thrill of sin. I'm dead to the desires of the old self. What effects do sinful sights and sinful tastes and sinful touch and sinful sounds and sinful pleasures have on a dead man? No effect whatsoever. He's dead. There's no sensory response whatsoever. What influence do these things have on a person who is born again and therefore dead to sin? None whatsoever. Unless, and this is a very important unless, unless he or she begins to nibble and taste and feast on the old desires of the world. Mmm, this tastes delicious, but it will give you a bad stomachache or something worse down the line. Sin always looks pretty good because it's dressed up when the enemy brings it, but we know what the outcome of that is. Now, you've probably seen or heard of instances where the old self tried to resurrect itself and take control again. When that happens, it always goes to a bad end, as it did in the life of King David. One evening, his eyes nibbled on some old desires of the world, and he ended up stealing another man's wife. How bad is that? The story is told of an old Indian who had two fighting dogs, And if these dogs couldn't find any other dogs to fight with, they'd fight with each other. And so a man asked him one day, which dog usually wins the fight? The Indian said, the one I feed the most. So what are we feeding this morning to our minds? Christ or the world? Now we're hit with the world because the media inundates us with the world and the world's thinking and the world's values. So we're going to have to make an effort to do what Paul tells us in verse 16 of your passage in Colossians 3. A little beyond our text, but it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The word of Christ is where you get the wisdom. And that's how you feed the new man in Christ, with the word. And, of course, the spirit applying the word. Well, now, does the Bible say anything about backsliding? It certainly does. The Israelites in the Old Testament specialized in backsliding. We want to avoid backsliding. So in these two parallel passages, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, we're given some very specific instructions. First thing, stop whatever is wrong in your life. Whatever it is, just stop it. But then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Then start or begin something new in its place. Something that is good and right. Now why don't we just stop sinning and stop doing wrong things. That would be simpler, but that won't work. In Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, Christ gives us a curious account of a man who swept his house clean of an evil spirit. The spirit later decided to return back to the same house from which it was evicted. It found the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. But the spirit went out and rounded up seven of his buddies who were worse than itself. And they all came back to dwell in the house. And here's what Jesus said about that. The final condition of that man was worse than the first. Morality sweeps the house clean, but that's not enough. Here's the difference between morality and Christianity. Morality leaves off the positive instruction and the connector. All you get is the negative. Don't hit your sister. Don't antagonize your little brother. Don't make such a mess all the time. Is this how children grow up? If it is, then we're making first-class Pharisees out of them. Now, that's just step one. Stop doing what's wrong. It's an important step, but there are some other things that are coming. This morality training is the problem with many organizations and institutions who want to help folks get rid of the bad habits in their lives and live a good life. I don't want to minimize or criticize any good that's accomplished by any of these groups. But if they leave out Jesus and the new birth in order to make it palatable and politically correct, that doesn't solve the problem because the problem is sin. And without the new birth, we're not going to be able to deal with sin as the Scripture indicates. They might mention a higher power, but that could be anything. I've talked to a number of people through the years and almost every week at the jail who are trying to get in rehab again. And they've already been in rehab, and they've been in rehab over and over, but they still have the problem, and they're trying to get rid of it. They don't know anything about the solution to sanctification, and they don't know about the first step that we have to take, which is to be born again. We have the answer in the church. But we better be careful that our walk matches our talk because the world is watching us carefully to see how we're going to live.
What is this put off, put on metaphor that Paul is using to instruct us? Here's a young man waylaid by the devil. He becomes a drunk and a crackhead and he's beginning to look like both. His appearance is disheveled. His clothes are filthy. His scraggly looking hair is dirty and matted. He is a disgrace to his wife and his children, to his employer and the community. He's turning into a hopeless bum. But one night he wakes up from a drunken stupor and he looks in the mirror and he sees that he's on the downbound train and he decides that he's going to make a change in his life. Somebody gives him a gospel track. He reads the track. He gets himself all cleaned up the next Sunday morning, puts on some clothes and he goes to church. Is that going to solve his problem? Well, that's a good beginning. He might hear some things at the church that would encourage him to be born again. But there are going to be some other things that he needs to know and that he needs to learn. So first, we have to put a new man inside the new clothes. We can take off the dirty clothes. We can put on some clean clothes. Uh, Usually... You don't clean up your life by sheer willpower and then come to Christ. Usually it's the other way around. But the problem is we got to get a new man inside the clothes. And how are we going to do that? The new man is Christ, the true new man. But we have to put on Christ. Then I become the new man in Christ. At that point, I am sanctified. I have positional or definitive sanctification. God sees me as set apart for His purposes. But then I began this exciting process of progressive experiential sanctification. And that's where, through the rest of my life, I'm going to be working to put off these characteristics of the old self and be renewed in the spirit of my mind and put on the characteristics of the new self. This is the metaphor Paul is using, putting off some old clothes and then putting on a new garment. Clothes often define, in a sense, the person that we are. You can think of bus drivers, policemen, postmen, baseball players, nurses, soldiers, prostitutes. Our lives should define the person that we are, the new person in Christ. Don't let blemished character define who you are. Put those things off. Get a new spirit in your mind. If you try to take off the old and you don't put something new in its place, you'll be like that guy who swept the demon out of his house. Have you ever noticed how when you're trying to break an old habit and you go back to whatever it is, your willpower is slack and You go back, it comes back worse than it was before many times. That's the reason for all the rehab effort that everybody's making. Finally, it gets so bad you can't live with it. How important is the connector? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The tense of that verb, be renewed, indicates an ongoing continual action. 
I'm not converted over and over again, but I am renewed in the spirit of my mind daily, hopefully, as I'm in the Word of God. We know how to do that. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind because that's where the spiritual battle is taking place. And we can think of the Scripture verses that help us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, we're destroying speculations and we're taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's a matter for another study. But how does the new man in Christ, how does that change the old man? We want to take a look and find out. The old man points us back to the first man, we said. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, some things were lost from the image of God in which he was created. And we get an idea of what was lost as we see what Paul tells us has to be restored in these two passages that we are considering. So Colossians 3.10 Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. That's the first thing we have to have. We've got to have an understanding of God and His will. And of course the gospel expands on that. Then from Ephesians 4.24, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness have to be restored. What is righteousness? Right standing with God and the resulting ability to think right thoughts, morally right thoughts, and then to have right actions, words, and even emotions. Right standing means that I'm right with God. I'm not guilty. I'm justified. I'm righteous. Holiness just means purity. That's what Adam lost. Old Bob never had these things. And it's not going to do much good for old Bob just to try to clean himself up and pretend to be a good boy. We've got to put a new Bob in the clothes that he's wearing. And this is what happens when Bob gets born again. He gets the three A's. If you've been in our church very long, you probably have heard about the three A's before. The first thing you get is a new awareness. You get a new understanding here. You become aware of what the Bible says about who God is, His holiness, and who I am, my sinfulness, and my need for a Savior. You also begin to realize that morality alone won't cut it. The uh, Pharisees had a strict code of morality. And Jesus said, uh, your father is the devil. So I need to become aware of this knowledge that fills the Bible. It may used to have been uh, foolishness to me, but now it's beginning to ring true, and I see that it applies to me. But that's not enough, just an awareness. I need a new ability to choose what is right. I need the strength, the grace, the power and motivation to do the right thing. You have to be thinking the right thoughts in your mind or in your heart. And then you'll be able to speak what is right and do what is right. You receive the right standing with God when you are converted, when you are justified. Then you are reckoned or considered righteous. Abraham in the Old Testament believed God and it was was reckoned to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. 
But that's still not enough to live the Christian life. That might be enough for you to say, I'm converted. But if you want the abundant Christian life, if you want to be a happy Christian, you'll need the third A. And that's a new attitude. You get a new attitude toward the knowing and the doing. You get a new set of want-tos that match up with your ought-tos. And that solves a lot of problems. It's a big problem and my want-tos don't match my ought-tos. So I get this new attitude. I want to please God. I want to live a life that counts for the sake of His kingdom. I want to eliminate the trash in my life, in my thoughts. That's purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's holiness. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12:13. At least one modern translation reads in Ephesians 4:23, our connector, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Can you see the difference between that and easy believism or cheap grace? John 1:12 says, as many as received him, To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on His name. Now, this is why you hear people say, well, I tried prayer, and that didn't work for me. They have no power because they didn't receive Christ. Or if they didn't receive Christ, maybe they haven't understood about the process of sanctification. And they have things in their lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. And there's no power. God's not doing business with people who are not following His ways. And when I find out I'm not following His ways, I repent of that and I get back in right relationship with Him. We don't want to get stuck in a morality mud hole. Now, morality is supposed to get the mud off of us. But unless we have the new birth and these new characteristics of Christ, we're going to find that uh, mud sticking to us. Well, when a person is truly born again, that new birth should result in a new attitude, an attitude of gratitude, every spiritual blessing in Christ. We ought to really have the attitude of Christ that we see in Philippians chapter 2. If someone professes to know Christ and has a trend of life of a bad attitude, something's wrong there. They may have believed in Jesus, but maybe they didn't receive Him as their Savior and Lord. Now, I want to leave you this morning with two specific takeaways on how to put off and put on how this process works with a a specific habit that you might have in your life. And the first thing involves unwholesome talk. Verse 29 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Does anyone know what the next verse would say? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there might be a connection there. A lot of things that I say can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, in the book of James, we see that if you can control your tongue, you can control every other part of your body. Your tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
So beginning in junior high and high school, the old Bob began to pick up some of the characteristics of the old man. It always shows up in the tongue. And junior high is when you begin to learn the perfect put-down or the perfect comeback. Somebody says something snide to you and you say, well, it takes one to know one or something along that line. But when you get to college, it gets a little more sophisticated. Somebody gets on your case and you say, the zoo called. They're wondering, how did you get out of your cage? Or they might say, we were hoping for a battle of the wits, but we see that you came unarmed today. So you're thinking of a way that you can put them in their place and it makes you look a little bit better, perhaps. But then you get married and you find that put-downs are not a good idea at all, especially when accompanied by coarse jesting that we were reading about this morning. Crude joking. So you have to determine if you're going to make a change. Now, every now and then, some secular writer seems to strike upon the truth just in passing. So here is uh, Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit. Actually, a pretty good book, but he states that habits cannot just be extinguished. They have to be rather replaced or rewired. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians and Colossians. We've got to get rid of the old habits. We've got to rewire the circuits in our brains. And we've got to begin to do what we're supposed to do. So what's the first step? Put off the bad mouthing. Put off the things that are coming out of your mouth that are unpleasant. It might be a cussing. It might be minced oaths, euphemisms, sarcasm, negativism, cynicism, and the list is that long. Now, I never was a cusser, but I was a jester, and that can be a problem as well. So get a new attitude in your heart. You can start memorizing James chapter 3 that talks about the tongue. The Bible talks a lot about the tongue. Then number three, step three, start saying pleasant things that build others up. I found out, I was convicted of that habit, but I found out that good things don't just pop out of your mouth automatically. And I was trying to break that habit of saying foolish things or put-downs or comebacks or whatever it was because of what Dr. Adams has said in the seminar. And I was reading these verses. And I would try my best, but I would always find myself saying the wrong thing. It just came out because it was a habit. So what I had to do was in my devotion time early in the morning, I had to write down some good things to say, some specific things. And then during the day when I was at school teaching, I would call Yvonne on the telephone and read what I had written down. Now some people say, that's that's really bad. You're a hypocrite. No, I wasn't a hypocrite. That was the same as if I'd written her a letter. I was just reading what I had written down. And finally, my tongue began to form some new habits, and things went a little bit better. But I still have to be careful with that, especially the uh, coarse jesting. So if I want to break a habit, I've got to stop doing it, but I've got to get something else to put in its place. Now, the last one here is covetousness. Ephesians 4, 28. 
He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Wait, I thought you said covetousness, not stealing. Yes, covetousness is what makes you want to steal. You see what somebody else has and you want to have it for yourself. So what would be our first step? Stop stealing. Now we send convicted felons to prison in hopes that they will suffer their punishment, repent of their sins, and stop stealing. Do you think this morality training will work? It doesn't work very well. First of all, in our culture, we don't believe in absolute truth anymore. You may have a good reason for stealing. Many people think they do. And many believe that if you think you've been cheated in life, those people from whom you're stealing may owe it to you anyway, so you might as well take it. That's the thinking of our culture today. Besides that, if you go to prison, prison is where you learn how to do it from the real professionals who are there waiting to train you when you come in. I used to go to a large maximum security prison back in Alabama with Prison Fellowship. In the open bay section, there were some very interesting guys who loved to talk. And one old fella enjoyed telling about being in prison down in Florida in his younger days with his hero, Murph the Surf. Now, you never heard of Murph the Surf, but Jack Murphy was a very charismatic folk hero back in the day. Murph was a surfing champion a tennis pro, a concert violinist, an author, an artist, and a convicted murderer. He was noted for the biggest diamond heist, jewel heist, of the 20th century at that time, in 1964. He came in through the second-story window of the American Museum of Natural History in New York, and he stole the J.P. Morgan Jewel Collection. He was caught two days later because he couldn't stop bragging about stealing all those diamonds. And the guy I was talking to in jail couldn't start, couldn't stop bragging about Murph the Surf. Now, if you have professionals like that, when you send someone to prison, you're going to come out a much more accomplished robber than when you went in. And that's the reason prison is a revolving door for many of the people who are there. Step number two, stop stealing, but step number two, get a new attitude. Paul says, get a job and go to work. But you know you're going to have to have a new attitude if you're going to get a job. Because that's the reason a thief steals. He doesn't want to work. He wants to get it the easy way. And this is where Christ comes in. You have to put on Christ, the new man. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's going to be very difficult to change your mind about work and stealing unless you're born again. And that's exactly what happened to Murph the Surf. When he was in prison, the Bill Glass prison ministry came to speak there, the prison where he was, and he became a believer. And he got involved in the prison chaplaincy program, began teaching a Bible study, and mentoring some of the other men in prison. And in 1986, he was let out of prison on good behavior, and he became a preacher. 
And he spoke on one occasion in Fort Worth at a federal prison. And in the audience there, serving time in prison, were 22 attorneys, six judges, and a congressman. Murph told them, quote, If you don't deal with a person's heart, you're just passing out band-aids. You can educate criminals, but if you don't deal with their hearts, all you're going to do is make a smarter criminal. End of quote. One last thing. It's not enough just to get a job and go to work because the last phrase says that he may have something to share with those in need. you got to stop stealing and start giving and giving to those in need. Now, what about you this morning? Do you need to be born again? Or if you're already a believer, do you need to go to work on some of those characteristics of the old man that we need to get rid of. You'll have to put in the new characteristics of Christ if it's going to last, if it's going to really be effective. So if that applies to you, I would invite you to pray with me in your heart as I lead our closing prayer. May we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that... uh, Everyone here today has been in the hearing of the gospel. And we thank you that we have a Bible. We thank you that we have heard many times the gospel message and the things that you have told us in Scripture about this wonderful abundant life that you have given us through Christ. I would ask if there's anyone here today who realizes that they do not truly know you, that this would be a time when they would ask forgiveness of their sin, invite you to come in and take control of their lives, make them the person that you want them to be, like your son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there is someone here who needs to make changes in their life, old habits, old uh, thought patterns that need to be put away, I pray, too, that through the power of your Spirit, you would give them the motivation and the strength to begin that process of sanctification. Thank you again for all of your blessings to us, and we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.